recording of the new season is it not uh absolutely is yeah it's the first one for a while for me i've been very quiet yeah but quiet but not doing nothing i think you have a lot of things in store for this season yeah ah absolutely yeah look it's all um it's all go go uh but um yeah easing easing back into it and um yeah happy happy to be here we've got a particular topic in mind today and it relates to an anniversary. And uh, Graham, I wanted to ask you just a broad question. Graham, can you think of some of the pressures in life that may cause you anxiety? I, do, I can, Sid. And um, thanks for the question. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, some of them could be time itself. Have I got enough time? Where has the time gone? Lots, lots of time-related things. Uh, Never enough uh, time in a day. Yeah, I, that's that's one that crosses my mind. Um, mm-hmm. I was a bit worried, you know, getting older and, and you know, the fact that we won't live forever is a worry. So, you know, thinking about death and the implications of that. The, the good old money, money's always a, a concern. Sometimes you, you don't have enough, sometimes you feel like you do. Things change. You know, uh, they're both concerns. It's very different when you start getting over 50, which we may just qualify for. Is that right? I certainly qualify. I think I qualified <laughs> early, earlier than you did, but yeah, don't, yeah. don't tell everybody. No, no, um, no. I, I think that's going to be most of us on the team. I think with the possible exception of one, but she's catching up pretty quickly. It's it's funny when you think about time and age because you get past fifty and suddenly you get all these little niggles, don't you? It's true. Um, oh, I guess some some get it before fifty, but <laughs> fifty seems to be a, mm-hmm. a, bit, a bit of a, a fulcrum tip. Some would say it's all downhill from 50. Others are going to try and gild the lily and say, no, no, life begins at 50. My, my body would certainly testify that life does not begin at 50. And you've also touched up with time, like you become like aware of your own mortality. I think when you're at 50, the laws of averages say we've probably lived at least half of our life already, and that's probably something that a lot of people are starting to realise as well. Who knows? Um, it'd be nice to see you when I'm 104. Yeah, that would be nice, um, Sid. But um, yeah, w- we can only we can only hope. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna. If I was a betting man, I wouldn't bet on it. But um, it's, it's a nice thing to think about. Sorry, I, I was just gonna say that it is interesting, and it's something I think about. Hitting 50 and 50 and above, you, you sort of qu- quantify the percentage of your life you've probably already had, and you start to think about what you've done. What's left and how much have you wasted of it? That sort of thing. What sort of mark you're going to leave it? And, and, and a whole lot of things. So this whole time and age and and death, all these thoughts sort of interact together and um, they're very interesting. It's interesting, you know, whether this recording now becomes something that people do listen to later on, uh, whether they don't, whether it's shelved, whether we have our kids, kids, kids listen to it. In a weird kind of way, it does become a bit of our legacy even if the critics only give it a rating of one out of ten. 
oh, I'd be quite happy with a rating of one. <laughs> um, that would be an improvement on some of my past efforts. You've touched on money. And if I was thinking about that question myself, I can remember money in my 20s or early 20s was often an issue. Used to live on a shoestring. <laughs> Used to find ways to basically survive on not very much, which was actually very practical. And then it gets different when you're trying to think about like uh, mortgages, bills, just, you know, meeting, you know, you know, financial obligations. Funny enough, children do chew up your money, don't they? Yeah, certainly. Um, they they not only eat you out of house and home, they, they eat your wallet. <laughs> um, they, they eat your dreams and, and all sorts of things. But um, it, it, I mean, they're a big, big, uh, big part of the money that we, we, we spend, but very well worth it, I would say. Yeah. You know, they may impact on our sanity. Perhaps. Um, I, Good I and they, bad. <laughs> I, I think they impact definitely on the, the Marianne sanity. Yeah, very true. I've noticed that. Do you know when we're touching on some of these issues, I said that this was relating to a particular anniversary. Like we're in our early 50s. I was talking about something that's an anniversary of a 50th release. And what I wanted to point out is probably one of the biggest selling albums ever that's covering some of the themes that we've just been talking about, some of the things that become pressing to us now, some of the things that was like pressing to us maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago. If you haven't kind of worked it out when I'm looking at some of those themes, we're talking about the dark side of the moon, Pink Floyd's release, which occurred on March 1973. And I almost have to take a deep breath. That's, you know, 50 years ago, March 1973. And look, I think it's just stood the test of time. We've got four players that were the sum of their own parts when we're looking at the band Pink Floyd who put it together. Uh, Roger Waters, who's accredited for the theme of it and also the lyrics, bass player as well. We're talking about David Gilmore, often regarded as the voice, even though that's not 100% true. He doesn't do all the vocals there. Guitarist extraordinaire, I think we can go with that for sure. Then you're looking at Richard Wright when you're looking at piano, keyboards. And the thing that I found absolutely extraordinary was how closely Richard Wright and David Gilmore's voice can harmonise together. And there's tracks on this album where you have to pinch yourself. These are actually two voices, even though they sound like one. And then, of course, on drums, percussion, you have Nick Mason. According to legend, this was actually devised in the drummer's kitchen. And it was really about that question, like, can you think of some of the pressures of life that cause you some anxiety? We talked about some of the things now, but I think this album has a lot of themes that, as I was saying before, work across a number of time zones, a number of demographs. So tonight, Graham and I will talk about our favourite tracks, introduce some nuance into the discussion, and I thought maybe the first place I might start is, Graham, can you remember where you were when you first heard the album? How did you come across it? I probably would have heard it on the radio without really knowing what it was, but the, the first time I can remember listening to it was... I was at a friend's house. We used to sit on the front lawn of his house, which was sort of high up overlooking a park. And that's, mm -hmm. he used to, he had a Aiwa boombox, as we used to call them in the 80s, and um, mm -hmm. a nice little unit, a CAW20 or something from memory. 
And we used to play albums out there. That's where I, I, I learnt or that's where I first heard bands like Kraftwerk and Dire Straits. Mm, um, great and, era, wasn't it? And we listened to um, Dark Side of the Moon. And I remember the first time it just um, it was just music that grabbed me straight away. Yeah, and that would have been would have been probably eighty one, maybe eighty two mm. at the latest. So a tender age of geez, what would have been eighty one, um, you know, maybe thirteen thereabouts. I was of a similar age whilst I think there's no doubt because the album cover is so iconic. Everyone knows that symbol of the prism and the rainbow and the light hits it. And I was probably more aware of that than anything else. I was yeah. certainly aware aware before that that Pink Floyd had a, obviously another big album when you're talking about The Wall and the classic song, you know, Another Brick in the Wall, which was before I actually discovered Dark Side of the Moon. I was aware of people talking about it, just how incredibly dynamic the sound was. But I can remember the first time it was really, really consciously brought to my attention was in year seven and we had this very, very good music teacher who wanted to talk about how you can incorporate just, I suppose, more ordinary sounds into music for good effect. And to show that example, he played the clocks in time. And uh, I just remember listening to it, hearing the clocks go, then the alarms go, and then you can hear the beat, that moose, you know, do, 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 like you know, just like a clock and time's racing before you actually get into lyrics. And a lot of people looking at each other going, what is this? This is just unbelievably good. And it's just uh, every way, way that you were listening to it, there was the lyrics, there was the sound, there was the music. There, there was just such diversity for your ears to take on. And it wasn't very long afterwards I started chasing this up and saying, what is this? I've got to listen to more of it. I've got to find out what's this all about. It was just such a brilliant entree. So I certainly thank my music teacher in year seven for introducing introducing me to it. Uh, he was an absolute mad Pink Floyd fan. It's interesting. I, I'll just, just say quickly, um, when, when I first heard the album, I sort of was taken aback because it was very different to what I was used to listening to because I would have, mm. would have been listening to a lot of radio, um, you know, the, the three-and-a-half-minute hits. That sort of thing, and when it started getting into music like this, that album was like I could sit down and listen to the whole forty-five odd minutes of the album in, in one go. It was like one long song with with different um, different themes and ideas, and those themes and ideas have changed. Like the way I see them now, in my in my teens I saw them one way, in my twenties I saw them another way. The themes and ideas, and, and it's changed and evolved, and it's kind of like that's what the album's about your whole life. Um, so it's a really, yeah, it's a brilliant album. It's probably probably the best album or one of the best. It would be in my top five. I think there's a number of people who would rate it in their top five just universally uh, because of just that diverse appeal and how it just works for, you know, in different ages. I, I was fascinated when I first heard it in full, and you're absolutely right, we're so used to on radio, three or four-minute track that works neatly, on radio airplay but when you listen to the album I know there was a single that was made out of it I mean that's well known probably one of the rare times that Pink Floyd actually released a single but it doesn't work as a single as a you know a term that we're familiar with now it's a concept album each song linked connected 
ran into each other and sometimes very intentionally. And you even see this if you play it on CD. You start to tr- click on, let's say, you know, track four or track five, you can actually hear the ending of the previous track so they can't get it neatly. They always try to fuse the tracks together. And maybe the only difference is between the fusion of the tracks is when you look at Great Gig in the Sky and obviously the first track of the next side of the final album, which was, of course, Money, because that was in the days where you had to turn the vinyl album over. But with the exception of that, and that was the technology at the time, it just ran together as one cohesive piece. There's not too many examples of that back then that worked that well. No, you're right. Um, maybe think of um, War of the Worlds, the soundtrack, that was, mm. which was obviously a story, but that was something you could sit down and listen to from start to end and and was like, yeah, it was just a story going through the whole album. Um, I was just going to say, I think Money, you mentioned Money. Money was released as a single mm-hmm. in the US. Um, and I think Us and Them was rece- was released as a single as well. They were the, the only two singles from the album that they, they used to try and promote it. And Money money as a song does sort of work on its own as well, I think. Money's an interesting song. Can you name too many songs that work on 7-4 time? No. <laughs> think about personally. it. Dun, 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 dun. I'm really struggling. There may exist one, but it's probably the most famous song with the most unusual time signature that you will ever see. And you you think about back then, they were actually cutting up tape to put this all together. They were cutting and sticking tape back together. They unheard of today, the way they used to do this in, in production. We're so used to hearing things done on computer, but I've seen a couple of docos where when you look at the um, just the money sound, the cash registers at the start, if you've actually seen the footage where they've had to use just old-fashioned tape, which they were looping around, one end of it to make it work, they've actually got the tape going around a broomstick to help create that loop. And you're getting the idea of the technology that they were using at that time to create that effect. And there's a lot of what we might see, like improvising shoestring-type stuff, that produced this amazing quality. It's the creativity is amazing what they're willing to try and do. The album starts with a heartbeat, and I think you know it just sounds like a heartbeat. It's actually a drum, obviously, and the album mm-hmm. finishes with a heartbeat, which is very interesting as well. Um, but the the alarm, the clocks in time at the start of time were all recorded in an antique store individually mm-hmm. by by Alan Parsons again, who has a lot of connections with the album. He's obviously the engineer from the Alan Parsons project. Um, and at the time when he was recording them, he had no idea what they are going to be used for or if they'd ever be used for anything. It's interesting how they, they took all those, put them all together and made, just made an incredibly good sound. Now, Alan Parsons was no mug because uh, I know that uh, in some of the things I researched, he certainly put forward a lot of like ideas for the album. Mind you, Pink Floyd didn't use a lot of them, but they did use some of them. I think The Clocks is one that they certainly did use. Just in terms of his background, yes, there there is the Alan Parsons project. You've also got to consider, too, that he did a lot of production work, obviously, with Dark Side of the Moon, but he also worked on the last two Beatles albums. There's a lot of connections between the Beatles and Pink Floyd. Um, obviously, where they recorded, the people they recorded with in, in production, etc., um, and I'm sure they cross paths with each other a few times. 
what's well known, the very first Pink Floyd album. We're talking about like uh, Sid Barrett days. You know, it's an interesting album, not my favourite. I don't want to dwell on it too much. And in the same complex, that's where the Beatles are doing their classic album, Sgt Peppers, and it's in the same building. And Roger Waters has actually talked about briefly crossing paths with John Lennon at the time. But you have to think there's the Beatles' well-known band, Pink Floyd, barely known, cutting the scene. You can kind of understand why there wasn't too much of a big conversation like, who are these new guys? Will they last? I mean, of course the Beatles wouldn't have known that at the time, but they were in the same building. They probably walked up the same staircase, probably had, the, you know, in the same kind of kitchen area making a cup of tea. Who knows? No, true. Um, I read somewhere that there was always a bit of angst between Roger Waters and um, Dave Gilmore, and they they both wanted different sounds for this album, for Dark Side of the Moon. Um like Roger Waters wanted to be just a bit more, a bit more easy and flat and raw, whereas um, Gilmore wanted it to be a bit more synthesized and a bit more edgy, et cetera. And um, yeah, Alan Parsons was a bit in the middle of that. But um, I think Roger Waters at the time said he was influenced a lot by um, John Lennon and his music, mm. which um, Gilmore wasn't. So they had these little. No, these are probably big differences, to be honest. Um, yeah, so there's, there's lots of little connections. They, they're both they're in Abbey Road Studio, what became Abbey Road Studio, where they recorded Dark Side of the Moon. I think they found a way to uh, settle their differences back then, as opposed to 10 years later where it looked like they couldn't even talk to each other. If I was to ask you, say, two standout tracks from that album, now, it doesn't need to meet any criteria, just your own, for whatever reason. Yeah, okay. Well, again, like we, we, it's hard to just pick one track because mm-hmm. it's like the, the whole album's a story. But, but um, for me, it'd be time. Time's one, one thing about the, the song, which is interesting, is that the lyrics for the song can be attributed to all four members of the band. It's, it's one of the only songs that would do that in the whole of Pink Floyd's time together mm. um and to me it's just an epic song because it's all about life the song asks all the questions or, or explains all the thoughts or you know have you wasted your time what's one of the lines you, you sort of wake up one day and find 10 years has got behind you the the line about no one told you when to run you missed the starting the starting gun, gun. <laughs> and water i think waters wrote that he's only 28 or 29 at the time so he's feeling it you know, he's he's a guy who was about to become incredibly successful at what he's worked at. But he, at 28, 29, he felt like, you know, no one had told him to start his life, and he's woken up one day and he feels like it's, it's already got behind him, and he, he can't go back and get it again. And I think most people would have that feeling at some stage in their life. They wake up one day and just think, I could have done more. I could have been better. I saw an interview with Roger Waters, which I'll probably place around probably the early 2000s. And he explained a lot about that lyric at the time and it had to do with a lot about how he was looking at life and a preparation and when you're ready to step up and against probably a traditional view and then he realised his own view. And uh, he said that you you grow up thinking a a fair amount of your life, your late teens and your 20s of preparation and a preparation could be, you know, you've got to pay your dues, you've got to do uni, you've got to do your trade. Or, you know, or whatever, do the hard graft. But at what point 
do you actually say, I'm there, I'm my own person, I've made it. Who are you waiting for to say that? Now, sometimes you could be waiting for you finish uni or trade, you get a piece of paper and then you have to go to the next thing where you have to get that experience. And he just said he got to his late 20s, said he's been a muso. From a European and particularly English point of view, the band was making money. And he just said, no one has to tell me that I'm ready now. I've been doing this for X amount of years. I'm ready now. I'm in my own zone. No one needs to tell me the starting gun's gone except me. And he said that change of philosophy, like he can live and now, he can stop preparing, he found to be very, very liberating. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't heard that before, but um, I'd agree totally that, you know, the only person that's ever going to say to you, you've made it, or mm. it's time that you can be happy with what you've done is yourself. No one else can. Mm. I don't think most people ever get to a point where they're actually happy with what they've done and they're not satisfied anyway, which is a shame. People, sh- people, A lot of people should be satisfied with what they've done as early as possible. Um, I think what you it. actually had with Roger Waters is this person with a deep sense of awareness of where his life was and where he fitted in with everything. And you can certainly see this is very big existential philosophical nature. It's like, where am I? Where am I placed? What am I doing? How can I re- even relate this to my music? In a simpler term, I think he just agreed to stop being a passenger. And I'll tell you what, it was a very good next seven or eight years of music once he reached that point. Oh, incredible. Just going going back to the song time, um, mm-hmm. the, the song itself is an idea within the whole idea of the album, I think, mm-hmm. insofar as the song starts with ideas as you're younger and after that 28, 29, say, period we might have just mentioned, you get, you get quotes in the song like, I think the narrator of the song, if you want to put it that way, is getting older through the song and then start saying things. I think every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time. That sounds like something that as you get older happens. Quote, plans that either come to naught or... Half a page uh, of scribbled half lines. Half a page of scribbled lines, yeah. So I think that's a that's a, yeah, that's a 30-year-old, say, Waters writing what it's going to be like when you're older without really knowing. And I love how the song ends just with the line, thought I had something more to say which can be taken so many ways, but to me means, you know, here I am near the end of my life. I thought I had yeah. more I could have said. There, there was more I could have done. And that's just that's just talking about the words. I mean, the, the, the song itself, the music is just it, probably better than the lyrics for mine. And just the, the guitar solo, mm-hmm. the build-up, the, build the first two and a half minutes building up before you get into the, to the, the vocals and then the guitar solo and then the end. And, then the way that song goes into um, what is it? The, the breathe, the second the second part is the reprise. The reprise, yeah. Like you said before, they just join together and in, in so well, yeah. And then after that, straight into great gig in the sky. So what more can you say? Yeah. That, so I think time would be my favourite track if I had to pick one. And the second one, be, yeah, yeah, it has to be a song originally. Uh, originally, like they, they called it lunatic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ended up on the album as Brain Damage. Yep. Which, as you would know, goes into the song Eclipse. They're, they're pretty much joined. They've re-released Brain Damage as a single this year for the anniversary, the 50-year anniversary. So I'm not sure how you'd buy it. I haven't seen it in any stores. I'm sure you get online. Brain Damage and Eclipse, is, I love just sitting down, lying back on the couch or something, listening to that. I think they were inspired probably by what happened with Sid Barrett, that song, mm-hmm. Brain Damage. 
the 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 mental breakdown. Yeah, and some of the lines in it. I think uh, one that comes on, and if the band you're in starts playing different playing tunes, different tunes, yeah, which I think comes back directly to Sid Barrett because from what I've read, often in their concerts before he left the band, in the middle of a concert, he just start playing a different song to the rest of the band, and that line must be describing what happened to Sid. I've heard sure. and read sure so many things, yeah, where uh, not only a different tune but sometimes just the same chord. <laughs> yeah. You can't get more playing in different tunes than that. What's some other lines in that song? Um, you raise the blade, you make a change, you rearrange me till I'm sane. What, what, what's that about? Is that uh, some would say a lobotomy or is that just society changing people to do the right thing? Or what society wants rather than what people would normally do. Yeah, I certainly think it's a, uh, the they is more generally speaking like societal expectations. But, yeah, uh, like, I think you the, change the, the line, rules, what do I do? Yeah, and the line, you've got to keep the loonies on the path, mm-hmm. to me comes across as society making us not walk on the grass but walk on the path, do what Comply. society says. Yeah, exactly. But what I love is there is... On one level, and it's deceptive, the lyrics seem rather simple. But as you can hear when we're getting into them, no, they're not. There's a lot to think about each line, and I think part of its cleverness is to use, like, simple words to kind of explain concepts to create all these kind of allegories, which they do so well that I can hear you talking about. Simplicity can be best, and they've really got it worked out thematically, I reckon. (laughs) <laughs> and yet the last line of that song, they, they sing, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> um, it could be, does everyone have some sort of level of, of craziness or, or madness and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see you there because it's inevitable you're going you're gonna to end up on the dark side of the moon, um, which is sort of the unknown. And I, I sometimes used to think there is always this universal mind where, you know, we can conform to different things, we can conform to different pressures, but at the end of the day, when it said, see you on the dark side of the moon, well, we'll all go back to the same place, uh, you know, maybe remembering what it's like to be human without all those outside pressures going on. There's a different interpretation, but it could work as equally as well as yours. That's what I love about it. Hey, Graham, there's a rumour that we have our own secret episode. Really, Sid? Our own secret episode? Yeah, our publicity department won't promote it. Gee, Sid, is it controversial? Maybe. Is it just that bad, Sid? Most likely. Will it offend? Oh, I hope so. Well, Sid, how will I find it? Well, go to Podbean, Season 2, Episode 30. It's called... Beep. I'll certainly look up. Good stuff. And you know, if you keep your expectations low, you'll never be disappointed. So just remember, Podbean, Season 2, Episode 30, a podcast for no name, and you'll find that episode called... Beep. Beep. <laughs>